Is it possible to put these lights on, Zach? Is that good? It's, I don't enjoy this ambiance when I'm starting to bring forth the word. Mike Coleman just has a word that he just wrote down and just wants to share with us before we start. So. I've had this word to share for a long time, and finally I just said, rifle, no pressure. <laughs> but you see what you think anyway. Um, who here has read the book by Justin? I know Rudy has, Justin Paul Abraham, Beyond Human. I really recommend this. I mean, it's just 10 bucks from Amazon. Justin Paul Abraham, Beyond Human. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's really, he's a seer, and it's, it's really, really amazing. Um, when I was uh, barely 16, and my, my wife-to-be was barely 14, I came face to face with her for the first time, and the Lord let me see her spirit. And beautiful doesn't even begin. You know, she was beautiful, and she is beautiful. And all my friends were in line, and I had to, I had to, I had to threaten to. Well, I'll just leave that part out. But, um, but I can tell you one thing: I was willing to fight for. Um, but, um, but it wasn't the physical. That, that attracted me was it was her inner self and just the beauty um, it's the beauty of the Lord she accepted the Lord when she was seven but anyway <clears throat> that's just a prelude to what I want to share because it, it took me a long time to come to grips with this thing of being the bride of Christ <laughs> I, I, as far as I know I've never had a female thought <laughs> And I still don't understand how females think. But, um, but it, after I tell you what I saw, then it's okay to call rifle beautiful um, because it's not a sexual thing. It's, it's, it's a glory thing. Um, but this is, uh, the Lord showed me the beauty of the human spirit, and I knew exactly what it was, and I was blown away, and I couldn't even begin to put it in words. Couldn't even begin. Um, but when I got this book that somebody recommended sometime later and read what Justin Paul Abraham saw, I went, that was it. He, he gave it a pretty good shot. He didn't really do it justice, but, but he, you get the gist of it. And he was able to put some of it into words. And this is what he said. The Lord showed me a majestic light being shaped like a person. It was sparkling with colored energy. It looked like living sparkles of amber with the grace of music, ribbons of light and color. I knew when I saw it that there was nothing else like it. It was unique. It is the beauty of the human spirit. And I'm, I added, born again, spirit-filled spirit. The human spirit has a limitless capacity to grow. We will keep growing and growing even beyond angels and creative things. We are the crown jewel of the cosmos. We are the, um, his, his bride, like nothing else, 1 John 3.21. But now we are sons of God, but what we will be, we don't know. Other scriptures say that we are partakers of the divine nature. Think about that. None of us know what truly awaits us. Our future is glorious beyond our imagination. Our present body is just a seed. The tree will be far greater. 
During a worship service here a couple years ago, I saw the father with his arms up like that. And I've told you this before. Um, and it looked like he was worshiping. And I said, well, Father, are you just worshiping yourself? <laughs> I mean, couldn't figure out who he could be worshiping. And he said, no, I'm paying homage to your future. Well, that word homage just went in one ear and out the other. I couldn't hold on to it. Too powerful. So the next day, I was thinking about it, and I said, okay, I forgot the word. I know it's important. You'll have to tell it to me again. And he did. But that's amazing that God the Father is paying homage to our future. He sees it already. And we need to have some clue about what it is because it's, it's, it's just amazing. Um, so the word goes on to say there are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one differs from another in, in glory. The first man was of earth, made of dust. The second is the Lord of heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. 1 Corinthians 15, 40 through 49. Our bodies can't define us any longer. In the healing room, there's a scripture that I love, and it says, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead indwells us, then he will quicken our mortal bodies according to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. I mean, that's an amazing scripture that here we have this bothersome physical body made of dirt, yet that doesn't define us. And at some point, we won't have to put up with this anymore. <laughs> you know, um, my, my wife's almost 99-year-old mother went to be with the Lord recently. And uh, <clears throat> two or three days before, she just closed her eyes. And the night she went to be with the Lord, my wife was with her. She said, Mama, we're all fine. Just go to be with Daddy. Just go. And so she went, just like that. Isn't that cool? So it just shows how there's really no separation anymore. The work that Jesus did on the cross, it's complete and far beyond anything we can yet even imagine what that's done for us. And so it's so important that we, we dwell on what is beautiful and good and honorable and just you know, in prison, the guys say, do the same things, get the same result. Well, that's a fact, but it's not helpful because it's what you're focused on. That's, that's where you're headed. So you have to change your focus. Like Rifle says, have your mind renewed by the Holy Spirit to see what to focus on. So let's, let's focus on what God says he has for us and fulfill our calling and destiny. You know, most of my friends are with the Lord already. I don't know why they want to go so soon, age 39. It's weird. Um, you know, just because I've been married 47, doesn't mean, 47 years doesn't mean I'm not still 39. But they wanted to go for some reason. Who knows? But, uh, and they're all happy. Some of them have shown up here, and you know, we've had brief conversations with them in heaven. Um, that's pretty cool. I even had some give me some advice. <laughs> 
I'll take it. Um, but you know what? Um, did they really fulfill their calling and destiny? I don't know. I really don't know. But I, I know that we all can because we're all still alive. Okay, today, continuance of the last two or three times that I spoke, um, what Mike said, now we're going to look in a little bit, just the finished work of Jesus on the cross. What did he accomplish? It's over, it's done, doesn't have to take place, we don't have to pray and believe for it, it has already been taken care of by God. So on October 12th this year, 2019, the running world was absolutely astounded. And here is a, a quote from October 12, 2019. I am the happiest man in the world to be the first human to run under two hours. And I can tell people that no human is limited. That's Eliud Chipogi from Kenya. He says, I now expect more people all over the world to run under two hours after today. Marathon, under two hours. First man to ever do that. Kenyan. And the running world was absolutely blown away by this. That means it's four minutes, 33 seconds per mile. For a marathon, four minutes, 33 seconds per mile. He says, I'm the happiest man in the earth. And after this, I believe that more people will be doing this. So we've used this example before here, but Sir Roger Bannister in 1954 did what was impossible. Breaking the four-minute mile could not be done. Humanly, the physical capabilities of a human being cannot break the four-minute mile. It's just impossible. Do you know what Sir Roger Bannister was? He was a neurologist. So when everyone else says it can't be done, his mind was saying it could be done. And he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced, and he believed, and he believed, and he believed. And in 1954, he ran the first sub-minute mile. You know how long that record lasted? Because remember, it was impossible to do. No one could do it. This is, this is inhuman. It cannot be done by man. That record lasted for 46 days. And after 46 days, another person broke the four-minute mile. And so on and so on. And now they're running a marathon in four minutes, 33 seconds per mile. People's beliefs can be changed. You and I can change what we believe. And if you and I believe something wrong and we get truth from the word, no matter how difficult it may seem to believe that that is the truth, but it's in the word, we can change our beliefs. How many of us sitting here 
have been through that in life, where something was just impossible, couldn't be done, not me, there's no way, you grew up a certain way, you grew up in a certain household, you had certain things that were right, that were wrong, but as you grew older and as you changed, your belief and your belief system also changed. It is possible for the human being to have their belief changed so that it can go from Glory to glory to glory to glory. Better and better. So I want to look at that today. Changing our beliefs. Because when we change our belief and our belief system, our results will change. But if you believe the same thing over and over and over, you'll get the same results over and over and over and over. And we laugh in church when we say doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. And that is not what we are planning to do here in this house. Mark 9.23. Can we have that on the board there, please, Zach? Thank you. Mark 9.23. Jesus said to him, this is the father that comes down. Uh, not come. Jesus comes down the mountain. The father brought his son who's thrown into the fire. is having all these epileptic fall out. Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible. This is Jesus speaking. All things are possible to him who believes. Because the father comes and he says, man, I asked the disciples, they couldn't do it. Maybe you can do it. Just can you? And Jesus says, can I believe? Jesus says, if you can believe. And he immediately turns a responsibility on the father. Because we know that Jesus can heal. We know that Jesus can multiply. We don't have any doubt in the fact that Jesus can do that. But where does the doubt come in? Will he do it for me? Or number two, can that even be possible in my life? And Jesus turns around and he says to this father, you asking me? He says, no, all things, all things are possible to him who believes. And this father just cries out. He says, just help my unbelief. I mean, how amazing, how vulnerable that you can come to Jesus and say, you know, you say it, I don't believe it, but help my unbelief. Here I am. I'm here because I believe you can. But if you say I can, help me believe like that. Help my unbelief to let it line up with your belief so that whatever you say, I believe, and that will be the possibility and the result that I get in my life. So here, breaking the four-minute mile, breaking the two-hour marathon, people's beliefs are being changed all the time. And this gentleman here from Kenya saying, I, I don't believe that people are not going to, it's going to be happening all the time now. People are going to break the two hour because once one has done it, man, it's possible. Now other people in their minds. Because to break that four minute mile is just, it was impossible until someone did it and then it was a new thought. Wow, well if he can do it, maybe if I train like him, maybe if I eat like him, maybe if I I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but the thought that it is possible definitely had a lot to do with it. And 46 days later, that record was broken. So what do we believe? This is what I spoke about two weeks. When it says that you are unconditionally loved, what does unconditional look like to you? When the word says there is no condemnation, what does that mean to you? When we have these words, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And we read it was here, John 17, Jesus says, you have loved them just as you have loved me. Do we believe that? Do we believe that when you ask somebody, how much does Jesus love you? That you can answer back, Jesus loves, uh, sorry, the father loves me just as much as he loves Jesus. That is what Jesus said. 
Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Or is that just a nice chapter in the Bible that we can read? Quote a scripture, have a nice little thing on our fridge that says, the Father loves me as much as he does Jesus. Turn around and then worry when we pray for forgiveness if it really worked. So do we believe? Because all things are possible to him who believes. So we've got to get our beliefs to what Jesus says is possible. So maybe four times ago when I spoke, or three times ago, four times ago I spoke about the Egyptian in the field. Anyone here that can remember that? Okay, two people, great. <laughs> then the week after that I spoke about getting the word of the Lord. And when you get the word, Mark chapter 4, Jesus explains the most important parable. As soon as you get the word, the enemy comes to steal the word. Offense is one of the things that he uses. Anyone here that was there that Sunday? My two people again. Wonderful. Okay. So I spoke about offense and being offended. And at the end of the service, I asked people, if Holy Spirit is speaking to you, if in your heart you know that Holy Spirit is revealing to you, or you just know that, you know what, I've taken offense against someone. For whatever reason, doesn't matter what it is, stand up and we're going to pray and we're going to get rid of the offense. Why can we get rid of offense? Why can we live a life which these days seemingly is impossible to live a life without offense? Because, man, sports, news, politics, religion, everywhere, somewhere, well, I'm offended. That offended me. How do you offend? You can't go anywhere without offense, offense, offense being everywhere. Yet Jesus says, when you've received the word, the enemy comes with offense to try and steal that word out of you. So how is it possible that we can live a life free from offense? The only way it's possible for us to even believe that is because Jesus doesn't get offended at you. That's the only, we can only do what Jesus did and what Jesus has for us. We can't do anything else. It's possible for us to do everything Jesus did, otherwise he would not say the things that I did you would do. He would not say, I'm just coming to show you the Father, because the Father's will and my will, it's the same. So, therefore, we can live lives without offense because Jesus lives a life. The man, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior in heaven today, is not offended by you or by anyone. People don't understand. People speak out of ignorance. The Word says, my people perish, Hosea 4, 6. There are many things that happen. So, if... If God's people perish and we have the truth, how much more the people who don't have the word, who don't have the truth, how much more do they perish if they don't even believe in the existence of truth being Jesus Christ and the word? So offense goes to and fro all the time, all throughout the earth, but Jesus does not get offended. He's not sitting there saying, well, how could you say that? He does. So if he doesn't get offended, we can also live that way. So now that's what we're going to get to. So... When we live a life without offense, so that Sunday I said, if you know that you've been offended, stand up. And I know some of you are lying here because nearly there was about 80% of the church who stood up that day. And I said, turn around, look at everyone who's standing who was offended. There were a lot. But I perceived in my spirit that some people were standing because 
others were standing. I perceived in my spirit that somebody stood up and thinking, well, maybe if so many standing, maybe I should. Well, was that offense? Was it not? Did I get offended? Was I not offended? Is this maybe? And not knowing, and that was not my intention at all. If you know me, if anyone knows me, I am not a sin-conscious teacher. I don't believe in pointing people to their sin, telling you how bad you are, where you fall short, why you can't make it. That is not me. I believe in pointing people to Jesus. I believe in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the blood that has been shed for us on the cross, finished work of Christ. And when we step into that and live that instead of being not good enough and falling short... We'll fall short until we go to be with Jesus. But he doesn't change his mind when we do about us. So I was not trying to get people to stand up and say, am I offended? Am I not? He's standing, so maybe I should stand. So I just, no, not at all. I don't point people. So the, the, the thing is to be pointed to the righteousness of God, to the finished work, as Mike said this morning, the finished work of the cross. And to be single-minded on who you are in Christ, who Abba Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, who they are to us, who we are today, how He sees us, His plans for us, His mind which is set. He's not double-minded about you and I. So neither can we be double-minded about Him and what He has already accomplished for us. And once we have single-mindedness towards God and the finished work of the cross, and we don't allow other thoughts and images and visions and lies to come into our minds, our life will work better. Because now you can only concentrate on one thing, the righteousness that Jesus has given to us. So that's what we want to look at today. Um, if a parent would have to explain condemnation to their children, it would be easy because we would be able as parents to say, well, this is what condemnation means, this and this and this and this. Yet so many parents that day here were standing there and am I condemned? Am I, have, have I been offended? Am I? Yet it's easy to explain offense to someone else. But when it comes to yourself, am I offended? Is there offense? You know when there is or when there isn't. You don't have to look around, everyone's standing, let me stand. You know. And if there is, you know what we were doing? We were just saying, this is not who I'm created to be because this is not who you are. You have a life with no offense in it, so therefore your life is, I don't have to live offended. So I confess this is wrong. I'm getting rid of it now. That was the exercise of the day. So single-mindedness about what, has, what God has done for us already. I, I sometimes use this example and I don't mean to become sin conscious, as I've said. And if you don't know me, you may take this the wrong way, but that's okay. I sometimes say to people, think about the absolute most horrendous sin that you have done. Just close your eyes, go back to that moment, and, and think about the most terrible thing that you would be the most ashamed. It was so terrible, and how could you even do that? While you were doing that, Jesus still loved you. While you were doing that filthy, disgusting, ghastly thing, the Lord didn't change his mind about you. 
And in this example, I'm showing you to Jesus' mind, which is already made up. I'm not trying to make you sin conscious. That the worst thing that you could ever have done, God knows about that. And if we have repented and that's not who we are anymore, and even while we were doing it, the word says, while we were yet enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Pointing you to Jesus and what he already has done through the cross, through his blood towards us. Taking upon himself our sins and giving us his righteousness. And the only reason, the only way by which you and I can approach God is through the blood and the grace of the cross. There's no other way. Your good works, brother and sister, my good works, no matter how many old people's bags we carry at Kroger, no matter how many lawns we mow for our neighbor, no much leaves, no, it does not make us reach a place where we can come to him on the basis of our good works. The only reason we can come to him and love him is because he first came to us and loved us. That's the only reason. And when we have our minds set on that, is that I can approach him because of what he thinks, what he has already done. It changes everything. But the enemy comes and he wants sometimes us to focus on our shortcomings, what we are not doing, taking our eyes off of him and putting it on our wrongdoing. And the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Old covenant. Keeping your mind stayed upon him, then he can keep you in perfect peace. So one-mindedness towards this. In John Chapter 1, verse 29. I've done this before. We have done this. So this is nothing new. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. So he's baptizing people in the River Jordan. People from all out, the whole Judea, Samaria. They come in Jerusalem. They're coming to be baptized. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You've heard me say it so many times. People saw a carpenter, a carpenter, someone who fixes chairs and tables and doors. John saw something else. He saw the Lamb of God. So it's possible that you catch a glimpse of something that other people are unaware of, even though you're looking at the very same thing, because the Spirit can reveal things to you that other people don't see. So John sees the Lamb of God. Other people see a carpenter. So now that word, it takes away the sin of the world, is the Greek hamartia. It's the Greek number 266. This is what this word sin means, because sometimes it's a noun, sometimes it's a verb, and we have to be very, very careful when we read what sin is and what this means here. This is what John was saying. There, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away up until that time, what happened when they brought the sacrifices and the blood? It covered the sin, could not take it away. Therefore, every year they had to come again because the sacrifice couldn't take away, could only cover the sin of the people. 
Now John says, behold, the Lamb of God. This is a prophetic proclamation he's making, not just a kind little play on words. The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Sin, S-I-N, Greek, 266. This is what it means, to miss the mark. Have you and I ever missed the mark? Jesus came to take that away. It's in the Greek, it's like a picture of someone aiming for an, uh, a board, like we have darts with arrows and shooting, and when you pull back and you miss the mark, you get another chance. There's another arrow. Go again. Have you ever done that with your kids? They do something, they throw, try and hit the wall, they kick, try and kick that goal. It's only seven meters wide. Try, kick, and they miss. What do you do? Take another chance. Okay. It's only seven meters wide. Take another chance. Kick and miss. Okay, take another chance. They missed the mark. They missed the mark. They missed the mark. Jesus came to take away you and I missing the mark. That's what that means. It means to err or be mistaken. Have you ever done something? Have you ever been mistaken about anything? He's taken that away. The Lamb of God, which takes that away. To miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor. To do or go wrong. Same word. This is the meaning of that word. Greek 266. That which is done wrong, sin, an offense, a violation of the divine law in thought or in act. Jesus came to take that away. Is it just me or is this just... Pastor Manny says sometimes he'll stand on chairs. I feel like doing that now, but I shall restrain myself. But Jesus came to take all of that away. That's one of the reasons Jesus came. Whenever you miss the mark, he came to take that away. Isn't that amazing? So that you never have to be double-minded about, has he changed his plan? Has he changed his thought? Has he changed his mind about me? Am I still seated in heavenly places or has he removed me because of single-mindedness of the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins, the wrongdoing, the falling short, the mistakes of the world? That's you and I. Collectively, the complex or aggregate of sins committed either by a single person or by many. He came to take that away doesn't exist anymore. That's one reason he went to the cross. So John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God. This was more than just a title. It carried a great amount of prophetic significance. So before lamb could be sacrificed, it had to be examined. No imperfections were allowed. The lamb had to be perfect and spotless to be qualified for a sacrifice for sins. This took three days of examination. Let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. So God says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it, according to the number of the persons 
according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Yeah, three days to inspect that thing. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So this is where the Passover is introduced. This is what God says shall happen. This is how you will sacrifice this lamb, which in the old covenant, the sins could only cover, sorry, the blood could only cover the sins. So in the old covenant, it was all about the sacrifice. The priest had to examine the sacrifice that was brought. Do we get the revelation there? The priest had to look at the sacrifice. So if I am the sinner and I have sinned, I had to bring a sacrifice. I had to bring something to the priest so that the priest could examine not me, because I knew I was a sinner. The priest knew I was a sinner. It wasn't about me and my sin, because everyone knew that I'd fallen short. I had to bring something. I had to bring this lamb here, this family. I had to bring that to the priest. And the priest would not examine me. The priest would examine the lamb, the offering, the sacrifice. And if the sacrifice was good enough, it could be offered so that the sacrifice would pay for the sin of the person who brought it. I have so many Catholic friends. So many people say a lot of bad about Catholics. There's so much good that they do. You have your own opinion. I have mine. But there are one or two things about Catholics that I just absolutely love. I have Catholic friends. I've seen movies about Catholics. I've heard people going to confession and what they have done. Catholic friends that have told me. But one thing about Catholics is when they go to that confession booth and they open and they say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And that father says, okay, you have sinned. You say so many Hail Marys. You do this rosary bead. You do this. Never ever, and some of them have done some stuff. Believe you me. Never have one of them ever said to me, you know, Rifle, that priest closed the door, the father, and he said, oh my goodness, that's too much. There's no sacrifice that's good enough for you. Please, I can't. No, no, no. This is never. Because it's not about the one coming to confess the sin because it's known that you're coming to me because you are a sinner. You need a sacrifice to pay. And when those Catholics leave that confession booth, my goodness, they are clean. They have been paid for. It is they can carry on with life now because it has been confessed. It has been looked over and the payment has already been made for them. And they walk away free. How many times do we come to the front here 
as reborn Christians with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and we pray and we fall and we confess, and then we leave and we still think, is God in love? Has he changed his mind? Is the blood enough? Does he really know what I did yesterday? It's all about the sacrifice. So these people were these little kids. They got to get this little lamb. This lamb stays in their house. Sorry, that's Holy Spirit. This lamb stays in their house for three days. They sleep with it. They feed it. Have you ever had a little small baby? Have you? Oh, the cutest little thing. Three days. You live with this thing. You feed it. You look after it. It sleeps in your bed. You become so attached and so close to it. And after it, you take that thing and you kill it. After you've made sure that there's no spot, no blemish, and you've bonded with this, and you're so in love with this little thing, but this thing is the only thing that can pay to have your sins covered for another year. Nothing else. So when we bring our sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, without offense, without changing his mind, without having a different plan, without having plan B because of your life and that is so mixed up. When he is the reason that we can come to the Father, we are okay because he knew that you and I would mess up. Therefore, we needed a sacrifice. And if we come via the sacrifice, not via our good works, he looks at the sacrifice that was given on behalf of you and me. If this doesn't excite you and make you want to jump on chairs, I don't know what will. And when I say it's not about you, don't take this wrong for one millisecond thinking I'm saying go and do what you want. That's not what I'm saying. Don't twist my words. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you have fallen in love with that little lamb and you have bonded with that lamb and that lamb is so, it's everything for you and you have to sacrifice that. If you can see Jesus as that, you will never want to walk in sin ever again because of the beauty and the loveliness and the compassion and the love and the relationship and the covenant that you have with the lamb, Jesus, the son of God. When they came, the old priest examined the sacrifice, not the sinner. And when you and I can come to Father God on behalf of our sacrifice, not the sinner, he never changes his mind. And when you and I can be single-minded on that, so that when we have entered in and gone to that place, and we are there already right now, seated in Him in heavenly places, when we live in that place. Romans chapter 5. Now, because of everything that's happened in Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, you and I, I didn't ask to put this on, so just trust me, it's in the Word. We have peace with God. Oh, man. You and I now, because of that, have peace with God. 
How many Christians really, really, really single-mindedly walk around with 24-7 peace in their hearts because the Prince of Peace is there. He's paid for their sins. Just like the Catholics, when they've confessed and that father said, you go and do this and this, they walk out there free. You and I are free. We have peace with God because of Jesus, the ultimate lamb that was sacrificed. How much peace do you have, child of God? How much peace do I have, child of God? Are we single-minded on our sacrifice? Or are we still looking at our wrongdoings, our shortcomings, our failures, our not living up to, or is it all about the lamb that paid for everything? Behold, the lamb of God that takes away rifle shortcoming. Every time rifle misses the mark, every time in word, deed, action, he does something wrong, that lamb took it away. And because of that lamb taking it away, rifle can have peace with God. Put your name where my name is because it's exactly the same. Are we single-minded towards that? Hebrews chapter 10. This explains it so nicely. Hebrews chapter 10, 1 to 10. Ah, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, you and I, people, are living in the good things that were to come. You and I are living that. When we wake up in the morning, we are in the good things that were to come. And people of old could write and see in the Spirit and have visions about one day, one day, one day. And you know what? It's our day. It's our day. It's our day. Don't have to wait for anything more because I am now seated in heavenly places. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No one looks at me according to the flesh anymore. If you do, that's up to you. It's your mistake, not mine. And me with you as well. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year Make those who approach perfect. So what is the main thing about this sentence here, where this chapter is starting? What's it about? The sacrifices. Okay? It's talking about the sacrifice. That's the main idea, the sacrifices. These sacrifices that they brought, these sacrifices day in, day out, these sacrifices year by year, the sacrifice, the sacrifice, the sacrifice, couldn't do anything for the people, but cover the sins for another year. And then they brought more sacrifices. And... So these sacrifices, which they made year by year, couldn't make the people perfect. Don't get thrown off by that word, because when you hear perfect, and you look in the mirror, you think to yourself, dear Lord, they're definitely perfect. No. Yeah, change your mind. The sacrifice was perfect so that you can, so that you can enter into heavenly places. You really, really want to upset most Christians? Tell them how perfected they are. You'll see some religious spirits start wiggling, (laughs) twitching. I'm just reading the word. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. In other words, if the sacrifice was good enough, would they not have stopped sacrificing year after year, Day after day, hour after hour, if the sacrifices were good enough. 
the sacrifices were not good enough back in the day, so they had to do them again and again and again and talk and dream and hope about one day. One day there will be a covenant. One day there will be a people. One day. Raise your hand. We're in that one day. That's us. Would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. This is a big one. The worshipers, if they were perfected and clean, they would have no more consciousness of sins. We'll go deeper into that just now. Um, But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Can you imagine on the big day, you come and you bring these animals, every blood is spilt and all, of, it's wonderful, and now you're clean, and when you turn around, what are you thinking about? Well, next year, the same day, we've got to come back. Why? Because our sins are just covered. And next year, when you come back and you've done that, what are you thinking when you walk away? Well, next year, the same day, we're coming back. Year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice. How many bulls and goats, for goodness sake, did it have to take for these people to... They could never reach it. doesn't matter how much blood was shed. So they shouldn't have a consciousness of sin, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away their sins. Today, what's the flip side of that coin? It is possible for the bulls and goats or the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the worshippers. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. He still doesn't say that uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. He doesn't want us to come and fall at the altar week after week after week. I'll sacrifice. I'll give this up. I'm just, it's not his will. He wants you to live free. He wants you to walk in that. Now we have peace with God because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave us. That's what he wants us to walk in. So, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. You know how many bulls and goats were offered and God had no pleasure in that? No pleasure at all in those animals just dying year after year, day after day. Then I said, behold, look, me, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Can you, that last one, can, did you see that? By that, by Jesus coming in this body, by Jesus being that, by Jesus doing what God willed and the pleasure that God found in that, by that will we have, we, you and I today, by that, by Jesus the Lamb, by that we would have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ Once for all. Once was that sacrifice made? Come on, this is not a, was the sacrifice made? 
Okay. That's what we celebrate every year. Jesus on the cross, dying, resurrection. It was done once. For a week, a month, a year, 10 years, decade, once for all. Do you know that 10 billion times, a trillion times, 7 million times, another million years from now, we are going to be in heaven. We're going to be with God, heaven here. All of that happening because of the once for, for all. Not just all people, all time. It's both. One sacrifice. So you never, ever, ever have to come and offer a sacrifice again. You just have to receive the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, that was made on behalf of you and I. Isn't that good news? So because of that sacrifice, you and I perfected. So the high priest, when they came, that's what Jesus got so angry about. Remember in the temple when he turned over the table? What were the people doing? They were cheating with the sacrifices. They were making money off of the sacrifices that the people brought. They would say, that's not good enough. You've got to buy. Go to that table and pay Johnny over there. When you give Johnny one gold coin, he's going to give me 50% of that. Let's. And it was the sacrifices at the people. And they used the sacrifices to get to the people. And that's why Jesus, that was one reason why he got so angry. But for you and I here, plain, clear. But now it says there that we should not even have a consciousness of sin. Don't misunderstand what that says, and don't say that I'm saying this. What that is saying is, should you fall short, should you sin, should you make a mistake, your eyes and your vision and your focus is not on you falling short. It's on the sacrifice that was brought. So that when you look to the sacrifice which was given, which was so costly, which was so terrible for Jesus to go through all of that. When we look at that, there should be no consciousness of sin concerning, I can't go to him, I can't run to my Abba because of my sin. It's not saying, husband, slap your wife, beat them. Don't give money to the poor. Don't take orphans into it. Don't do this because there's no consciousness of sin. That's not what it is saying there. It's saying, should you When you fall short, should you ever make a mistake, there's no consciousness of this sin is keeping me away from him. He's changing his mind concerning me. That sin consciousness means when I make a mistake, I can still run to him and run into his arms and say, man, I shouldn't have done that. That's not who I am. I'm not called to do this. But so many men that I deal with pornography, when they watch pornography or they fall in pornography again, they feel so guilty and condemned that they can't go to the Father. They can't speak to Him. That's sin consciousness. It doesn't mean go and buy all the porn you want and sit for a week and binge on porn. It doesn't mean that because you have no sin consciousness. No. It's saying, should you watch something that you shouldn't, and you know that's not the will of God, and you know that His grace can empower you to stop doing that, when, if, should you fall, you can still run to Him, because it's not about the sin consciousness, it's about the sacrifice that was given. It doesn't say, I'm going to continue in this because there's no sin consciousness that I, it's not saying that. Do we get the difference? If we have one mind concerning the sacrifice that was made for us, man, life would work 
so much better than it is for so many people. Because it's about the sacrifice that was brought. He is today our high priest. Right? He was the lamb. So the high priest looks at the lamb. Jesus looks at himself. The father looks at Jesus. Holy Spirit looks at him. It's all good. It's all good. There's no doubt in their minds that uh, maybe, uh, maybe that wasn't enough. No doubt. No doubt in their minds why should there be any in ours. When the Father looks at the back of Jesus, I promise you, he says, by those stripes you were healed. There's no doubt in his mind that those stripes paid. He doesn't see the stripes on Jesus' back and think, well, you know, maybe, man, your sin, ooh, those stripes. No, he looks at the stripes, he believes why don't we? I'm not, why don't, I'm saying, if he doesn't have any second thoughts, if he doesn't have any double-mindedness, because we have the mind of Christ, does our word not tell us so? We should have the same steadfast, single-mindedness concerning that sacrifice where Jesus said, it is done, it is, I've come now in the volume of the book to do your will so that once and for all, this sacrifice here, after he walked into Jerusalem and they threw the palm leaves, how many days did they look at Jesus? Good answer. They all inspected him. They looked at the lamb. He went to Caiaphas. He went to Pilate. And eventually he stands and he washes his hand and he says, man, this lamb, this, I find no, there's, this guy has done nothing. This is pure lamb. This is, there's no sin. There's no God. There's nothing wrong in this man. They inspected him for three days, and then they took that perfect lamb after three days' inspection, like the little lamb in Exodus, and they put him on the cross for you and I. And when he was lying on, on that cross, when he was hanging, he said, it's finished. I make all things new. Once for all, it has been done. It is finished. When are we going to start walking and believing this? Because it's all about the sacrifice. And now when you go to the mind, whatever you behold, you become. Whatever you look upon, you give your energy to, and that grows and grows in your life. So if you are constant looking to you not living up and you allow people to tell you how bad you are and you should be doing this and you should be not doing that, and you, instead of focusing on the lamb and the sacrifice that was made, you're looking at the wrong thing. And when we focus at the sacrifice and the high priest that looked at the sacrifice and God saying after three days in Hades, in hell, that's enough. Enough, no more. The price has been paid. Holy Spirit, go get him. Wow. We're living in that resurrection today. You are in that resurrection today. It's because of that resurrection today that you are seated in heavenly places. It's about the lamb. It's about the offering, not about you. All you and I have to do is agree with that and say, yes, amen, I, I receive that, that's all. 
And when we do that, we will live repented lives. We will not want to break his law of love. We will not want to hurt him because, man, he's just been so good to me. Why would I ever want to do that? I'm going to stop now. We can all stand. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus in the volume of the book to do your will so that we don't have to bring any more sacrifices but ourselves to you because the perfect sacrifice has been made. Took away the sins of the world. And because of that, we can come and enter your presence. I pray that you reveal to us. I pray that you strengthen to us that we have the mind of Christ. It's not a very lovely little verse. It's not just something written down. We have the mind of Christ. We can think like Jesus thought. We can think like Jesus thinks because we have now. We are partakers of the heavenly calling. We are partakers of having the mind of Christ. So Jesus healed everyone who came to him. There was no one that he turned away and said, sorry, your sins are too great. Sorry, your mindset is too wrong. Sorry, your attitude stinks way too badly. No one that came to him was pushed away by the love of God. So we thank you that that is still the truth and the reality for us today. Help us to walk that out. Help us to live in that. Help us to walk in the mind of Christ, to have renewed minds concerning what the word says we are. And that every time we run into your arms, no matter for what reason it is, because of the blood of Jesus that was shed and no other reason at all. That's the only way we can come to you is by the blood, by the veil that was torn from top to bottom and the holy of holies through your flesh has been opened for us to enter. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for this honor. Thank you that you have bestowed on us the name children of God. God. We receive that and we thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that we are living in this covenant. We are on the backside of the cross and we received everything that prophets of old wrote and saw in future generations to come. Thank you that we are in the covenant that you say, I will remember their unrighteousness no more because Jesus paid for that. Your word says through Paul, he says that we have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is where we are in Christ. That is who we are, the righteousness of God, because of your sacrifice. So we thank you for this. Thank you that we can leave this place with peace with God because of everything you have accomplished for us and made it happen. It's already done. We praise you for this. We thank you with hearts filled with joy and peace and gratitude that this is a reality that we live in. We love you and we thank you for this. Open our eyes so that we would delve and receive more of this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you need prayer, come forward. The prayer team would love to pray for you. Go home and look at the lamb that was shed on behalf of you, in Jesus' name.